what is up my dudes welcome to olympia oddities i'm trista and i'm steven and we're here today to teach you all about a special secret language that was developed by the grunge community in and around seattle in the 90s or at least that's what an article published by the new york times in 1992 tried to claim today we'll be telling you about how one witty sarcastic record label employee managed to trick one of the most recognized newspapers in the world into publishing a dictionary of fake slang terms. If Dink and Flicka doesn't come up, I'm going to be severely upset. That or fleece it out. You're pretty close to what some of them actually are. Um, I think that you're really going to like this episode because it's kind of like a lighthearted one. We've been covering a lot of like heavy stuff lately and also had a lot of like life stress stuff. We kind of took an unexpected break because we're trying to get all of our ducks in a row for pacific northwest true crime fest and that's been a little um hectic and yeah stressful. no the ducks are all over the fucking place yeah our ducks are like in different countries mm -hmm. one's just fled one's in ukrainian airspace for whatever reason he's doing good though okay i was gonna say i hope he's not on the russian side no he's fighting the good fight yeah he's doing he's doing a good job i got a, i got a letter from him not too long ago so are you ready to get into how they pulled off this hoax dink and flicka what does that mean? That's from The Office. That's Aww. that episode. Yeah, that's, that's the episode where uh, Daryl tells the camera about how he taught Michael Scott a bunch of uh, urban slang terms. <laughs> and he, yeah, he taught him dink oh and flicka. Oh my God, up. it is. It is. And then fluffy fingers is when you get really, really mad at somebody <laughs> and you decide to tickle them. I almost wonder if this is in that episode was like partially inspired by this happening. Because when we get into the list of words, you're going to be like, Damn, that is really close to some of the ones that they published. I think you've shown me this list before. I don't remember what all is on it, but I'm excited to get back into it. Our story begins in Seattle in 1992. Jonathan Poneman, co-founder of Sub Pop Records, had reached out to a friend and former employee, Megan Jasper. Megan had recently been laid off from her job as Sub Pop's receptionist. It was a common for Jonathan to direct interviews to Megan, and she remembered him telling her, I'm having a day where I'm not quick on my feet, and I knew you'd have fun with this. Yeah, but I also feel like everything I've heard about Sub Pop is that even today, they're still going out of business. So, I mean, yeah, just kind I of falling a... apart and, you know, just kind of slowly piecing it back together, too. But, yeah. <laughs> I have an old record store map that my dad got me one time when he was going through SeaTac, and he stopped at their Sub Pop there, or Sub Pop store there, and it says, like, going out of business since, like, 1980-whatever or yeah. something, like, right on there. <laughs> So Megan had drunk an entire pot of coffee that morning and admitted to being over-caffeinated. Fresh pots! It is a grunge episode, so I will allow fresh pots <laughs> to make an appearance. And if you don't understand what that is, I'll probably post it on the Instagram. Yeah, it's just a post it on, quality just, Foo yeah. Fighters bit that you need to see. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, when she answered, Rick Marin was on the line explaining that he was from the New York Times and that they were running a story on grunge. He also asked if there were any special words or slang that grunge fans used. Megan Jasper recalled him saying, Every subculture has a different way of speaking, and there's got to be words or phrases and things that you folks say. And this wasn't the first time that Megan had heard that question. Earlier in 1992, Sky, a British magazine, had contacted her about the same thing. She reacted both times to the question by giving them a list of totally made up, totally ridiculous words. She explained that you react by trying to make fun of it. I gave them a bunch of fake shit. I like Megan. <laughs> the cover title of the September 1992 issue of Sky read, 
like Harsh Realm Man, How to Hang Out in Seattle, and had a four-page article, which included some of Megan's made-up slang. The band Mudhoney spotted this article while in the UK and joined in on the prank by using some of the made-up words in an interview with Melody Maker. Oh my god, this is so, ah, uh, this is fantastic. This I, is just like a, a, an immediate just inside joke. These guys are just kind of like, I love that. They just saw that and they were just kind of like, oh yeah, this yeah. is this is fantastic. Let's just, let's just take it and run with it. I love that they just knew what to do. Yeah, I love Mud Honey so much just like as a band and also like I think that they're really, really cool people. Um... <laughs> And especially for doing that, like that is just like you gotta you gotta use your fame for evil sometimes, and oh, evil yeah. meaning messing with journalists. Megan recalled that as she listed off the increasingly ridiculous words to Marin, she could hear him typing. She kept waiting for him to ask her if she was joking, but he never did. In 1992, grunge was in full swing in Seattle and beyond. Author Charles Cross recalls seeing a booth at the 1992 Pialop Fair that was selling grungeware. <laughs> Singles, a Seattle set rom-com directed by Cameron Crowe, had hit theaters in September, and the soundtrack was a compilation of some of the most notable bands in the genre. Just two months after Singles was released, Mark Jacobs released a clothing collection with a grunge theme. I think we should look up pictures of that later, because you know it's going to be awful. I'm doing it right now. Oh, God. I'm predicting lots of, like distressed flannel but like in an artistic way oh, I have to, oh this actually why doesn't this look that bad oh i'm kind of into it actually or i wonder if this is like new okay no this one looks pretty 90s yeah this one here does but oh, still yeah. it doesn't it still doesn't look that bad but yeah it, it, it's it just, looks it's very kate moss in the 90s kate moss yeah heroin chic or like uh um kathleen hannah i was almost like we just saw her like two weeks ago <laughs> And with Grunge's growing popularity, those in the scene started to grow tired with those who just weren't getting it. They grew tired of articles touting Aberdeen as a suburb just outside of Seattle, where Kurt Cobain grew up. <laughs> Charles Cross recalled a time when he was working at a Pacific Northwest-based alternative paper, The Rocket, and got a phone call from a Canadian reporter. The reporter asked him if the sudden, t sudden arrival of tons of teenagers in Seattle had caused a public health crisis. He thought this call was a prank originally, until she urged him to look out his windows and check. Needless to say, hordes of thousands of unwashed teenagers were not descending upon Seattle. <laughs> After Megan got off the phone with Rick Marin, she called up Jonathan Poneman, saying, We laughed, and then my life went on. On November 15th, Megan got a call from her mom, telling her to go down to the corner and pick up a paper. When Megan asked why, her mom explained that, You're in the friggin' New York Times. Good job. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I really wanted to leave that quote in there because I was like, you can just get so much character and backstory about Megan's mom from that one quote. That's, You're oh in the God. friggin' New yeah. York Times. I just, I love it so much. <laughs> Megan headed to her local 7-Eleven and bought a copy of the newspaper, then rushed home and opened it up to find her article. In the style section, the headline read, Grunge, a success story. And next to the article was a lexicon of all the words that Megan had provided. Her only thought was, oh my fucking God. See, now all I have running through my head is that Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show song, Rolling Stone, or cover of the Rolling Stone, excuse me. I just, yeah, I was just like, man, if I was in her shoes, I'd be living out that song. Just, I'm going to buy five copies for my mother. <laughs> <laughs> the lexicon read, and please prepare yourselves for this. So the first word that we have is bloated or big black, 
big bag of bloatation, <laughs> meaning drunk. Then you have bound and hagged, staying home on a Friday or Saturday night. See, now, I guess I guess I kind of use a version of hagged where I say haggard sometimes, but that is completely different. That's actually a word. It has it holds a different definition, but one of my favorites, cobnobbler for a loser, oh, which you, I you, swear you, I've heard people use. I've heard you say it, like <laughs> like just just using it. Yeah, I mean, I. It's kind of like great though. That's well, we'll get into the at the end of this episode about how some uh -oh. of these words actually kind of ended up accidentally entering the reality of grunge culture. <laughs> <laughs> then you have dish, a desirable guy. Fuzz for your heavy wool sweaters. Harsh realm, meaning bummer. I like that one too. Actually, yeah, I kind of I kind of like that one too. Kickers, heavy boots. Lame stain for an uncool person. <laughs> I swear I've heard that one too. Plats for platform shoes. That's good. We should use it. That yeah, I feel like that's exclusively like a drag race thing. Rock on, <laughs> meaning a happy goodbye. Score as in great. Swinging on the flippity flop. Swinging on the flippity flop is the one where they should have absolutely been like, we are being dicked with right now. Swinging on the flippity flop, which, you know, just means hanging out. I was about to say, I can see how that one kind of came back in School of Rock when he's like <laughs> getting out of the, the classroom. He's like, I'll see you cats on the flip flop later. <laughs> I actually use that. I've said that before. I've totally said that leaving work, leaving school. I've, I've used that many times. Tom Tom Club is uncool outsiders. You don't want to be swinging on the flippity flop with the Tom Tom Club. <laughs> and wax slacks for old ripped jeans. That one's fun. Wax slacks. It makes me think of that TikTok I saw the other day where the girl was like, the barista commented on my pants. And I said, these are my wacky pants. And oh, they yeah. had like the regretful music playing over it. <laughs> Megan had also offered up the term tuna platter, meaning a hot date. But that one didn't make it to print. What in the world? Megan Jasper was quoted as saying, It was truly unbelievable. Everyone in my family is a school teacher. For me to be in the New York Times because I fucking lied, you wouldn't think that they'd feel proud. But they were psyched. My family was so happy. They thought it was hilarious. Shortly after the article was published, Megan went to a show in Seattle where she spotted someone wearing a clipping of the article's dictionary pinned to the back of their shirt. <laughs> Megan said that the community gave her a pretty big pat on the back for pulling off the prank. But unknown to everyone, someone was indeed onto the fact that the words had been made up. Thomas Frank worked for a magazine called The Butler. The Butler billed itself as the journal that blunts the cutting edge, and Thomas Frank smelled something fishy with the New York Times article. He managed to track down Megan Jasper and interview her about the article. He immediately asked, there's no way this is real, right? To which Megan replied, of course it's not real. He asked if she would go on the record saying that, and she said, well, of course I am. Thomas Frank then published his own article with the headline reading, Harsh Realm, Mr. Sulzberg. <laughs> the article ran in early 1993 and detailed how the entire prank happened. Thomas Frank's article got a mention in another article in New Republic, and that was finally enough to get the New York Times' attention. Megan Jasper was contacted by an editor named Penelope Green, and she'd told her that she'd never spoken to Thomas Frank and that the words she'd provided were 100% real. Megan later said this was because she feared that the editor would lose their job if she admitted to the lie. Ooh, right? Like, point. maybe doubling down wasn't the best thing to do. 
Very good point. But I, I could understand being like, oh man, I don't want to get someone fired because I decided to be an asshole. Why is this a Daria episode? It really is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having so much fun with this one, and that is this is a Daria episode pretty much. <laughs> The editor then contacted Thomas Frank's magazine, and they sent back a letter that said that they stood by its reporting. Along with the letter was a note that read, When the newspaper of record goes searching for the next big thing, and the next big thing piddles on its leg, we think that's funny. (laughs) There's so much just pettiness and snark being thrown around left and right in this one, too. (laughs) Green claimed that she wrote a follow-up article correcting their mistakes, which included referring to grunge as a five-letter word when it has six letters in it, but it was never published anywhere. (laughs) When someone reached out to Green in 1993, she said, our piece was meant to be tongue-in-cheek anyway, so I guess it works. But how irritating. Also, I want to hop back just a little bit. It's funny that you say uh, it included referring to grunge as a five-letter word. I only have the five letters in my search bar to get this email up right now. I don't even have the E on the end. I just thought that was funny. That is funny. (laughs) (laughs) I have grung. Grung. (laughs) But in Seattle, something curious was happening. Long-haired, flannel-clad people were walking down the streets saying, swinging on the flippity-flop. These people were unaware of the words being hoaxes, and they were using them under the assumption that they were being real cool grunge guys. Hipsters! I just think no, it's... No, not even hipsters. Posers! <laughs> not funny me using terms wrong. That it totally ended up as this, like, inside joke within the scene to make fun of everything, and then quick, quickly just reached the masses who thought that we were all like, Swinging on the flippity flop, harsh bummer, harsh realm, man. I got my wax slacks on and in the Tom Tom Club. Just... And all these people who wanted to get on and grunge were like, I gotta start you saying these words. See, but I feel like I feel like Dish, that I feel like that one kind of sort of morphed into snack. I could see that. Dish being yeah. the origins of snack. We're onto something here. Score is definitely a thing. I, I feel like it is because score just meaning great. Like I, I and that that might have also just been an inevitable one. <laughs> We're gonna score. We're it gonna makes score. me think of Beavis and Butthead. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm and I'm also pretty sure that they said that in uh, the Wayne's World movies, which is around the same time yeah. this came out. Yeah. And then what else? Rock on, uh, dude. I say rock on. But do you use it as a goodbye? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I use it as a greeting. I use it as a, as a, as a, yeah, as a, as a goodbye. It's like aloha. Yeah, it just dude. works for every situation. Just rock on, right on, man. Yeah, just rock on. All right, thank rock you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities. If you want to support our podcast, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. I'm way more active on the Instagram lately at Olympia Oddities Podcast and on TikTok at Olympia Oddities. Or you could tell a friend about us or donate to our buy me a coffee that we have set up. I'm Trista and my personal Instagram is at Saloon Ghost. I'm Steven and my personal Instagram is the Steven Ramirez. Um, I'll be honest, I don't got anything funny for this one. And Dang until it. next time, friends, rock on. I love you. <laughs>